Hello and welcome to another reloaded episode of the Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast to shamelessly repackage previous material in the pursuit of posting regular content. I'm your host, Eamon Brown, and on this episode we have gone to the Bunker Replay to bring back to life our interview with Newcastle Knights legend Robbie O'Davis. Now I have to say this was one of my favourite interviews that we've done on the show so far, basically because Robbie was so candid in telling us about his career, the highs and the lows. Uh, We had plenty more to cover, but unfortunately we ran out of time on this occasion. But just in case you missed it, here it is again, when the voluntary tackle met Robbie O'Davis. I guess I wanted to start off with the 1997 Grand Final. I think when I think of Robbie O'Davis, I always think of that moment. I guess a game that a lot of people sort of view as one of the best Grand Finals ever. Obviously, you were the, you were the Clive Churchill medal winner. Um, do you reflect on that game as, I guess, your career highlight, Robbie? I mean, how do you view that in the context of your entire career? Well, this podcast is up there, I guess. Do I start with the podcast? <laughs> Actually, before I go in, indulge anymore... I, yeah, sure. I hit Eric Grove Jr. up the other day online and I said, mate, you do this thing called a podcast and it says at the top all the info in my bio. I said, mate, am I a freaking dinosaur? I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> what's a bio? I did not know either of them. You don't know what a podcast is. I said, mate, I must be a dinosaur. What, what are they? So I only just learned halfway through this week what a podcast was. So, yeah, when you were telling me to come on the podcast, I'm going, yeah, mate, what is it like? What's happening? I'm... So I wasn't religious until I found out what it was. So yeah, I'm, I'm all into it now. <laughs> mate, well, look, I'm I'm happy to uh, to oblige, mate, and and I guess uh, bring bring you into the new world of technology. I'm only just getting to grips with it myself, and I host one. But well, mate, if you want to go back to the '97 Grand Final, and you want to talk about technology, yeah, so just how much of a dinosaur I am. So we were leaving the um, uh, the workers' club, and I walked down the road, and all the boys were catching taxis, except Joey. Joey was um, on his way to get. Daniel John's out of bed so he can come and entertain us for the day. Yeah. So Joey's gone his way because he, 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 all he kept saying is, we need entertainment at, at the Mad Monday. We need entertainment. We didn't know he was going to go jump on silver chairs, bloody chair, <laughs> on his bed and grab him. But anyway, as it turned out, I'm walking along the road and a car's picked up, pulled up beside me. Oh, big four-wheel drive. And he goes, mate, Robbie, are you wanted on the Steve, Garth and Steve show, your, your, your radio show. And I said, mate, look, I'm just having had a sleep. I, I'm full as a state school hat rack. I, I, I can't talk. And it's way out Sandgate, mate. And he goes, no, no, just, just jump on my phone. And he looked at I went, have you got a car phone? This is 1997. Yeah, yeah. Went, have you got a car phone? Are you the richest man in the world? And then he goes, jump in, jump in, and ring him. So I get on the phone and I'm talking away to Garth and Steve. And I went, the first thing I said was, I'm on a, I'm on a car phone, boys. They said, oh, it's good. We got you loud and clear. That's great. I said, no, you don't, you don't understand. I'm on a car phone, boys. <laughs> and they're going, okay, good, excellent. I said, boys, hey, I'm with the richest man in the world, you know. <laughs> it was the biggest box thing you've ever seen. Oh, was that was a highlight of 97, but obviously the, the game, the week before, the, the run on the field, there's so many documented stories, whether it be Chief telling Matty Johns, he's got a podcast now, I heard. So, Matty um, does, yeah, very good yeah. one, actually. Um, yeah, so Matty's always blurting out story after story after story, and how he remembers them, I don't know, because I don't think he slept for the whole week, so how he remembers the whole lot of them stories has got me stuffed. But I think that the ones that really play in my mind are the, the Chiefs' speech the night before the grand final, the Chiefs' speech the, the day of the grand final, the, um, 
the way he single-handedly took them on, you know, in the first 10 minutes of the game and um, put them on the back foot so all us rap dancers could do our do our dance and score the tries and carry it on. So I, I lay a lot of him, what he um, started the game with, his, his energy and his violence. <laughs> I remember he had Jeff Toomey's. He has Jeff Toomey in one hand and throwing him on the ground and punching Spud Carroll with the other hand. He was just, he was just out of control. Um, and Adam Mule just was belting people and, um, you know, and then we had guys like Troy Fletcher that had hair, hair bigger than his body. He come on, he just, he created momentum down the field and a couple of big hits that allowed him to score the second try. And, and there was, everyone played their role and yeah. played it well. And it wasn't about us at all. And that's the best thing about it. It wasn't about the players. The players went out there and we played for a town, mainly played for a team. And that's what was so special. And that's why we won it. And mate, to come back and party with the town, opposed to go back and party with the, with the team, is, is pretty pretty special. And and yeah, and the rest of the rest of history because some of the some of the partying stories and some of the photos of the guys partying is pretty, pretty bloody good. Absolutely, mate. And uh, some of them have gone down almost uh, in history as bigger events than the game itself. A couple of those post-match well, interviews. Uh, guys getting jelly tattooed on their bodies and stuff. That's, that's pretty good. Before the game, I sort of looked around the stadium. It was a, such a big, big part of my life um, at that time. You know, first grand final and forty thousand people in the stadium and thirty. Nine and a half thousand on my Newcastle people, and uh, the rest of them are probably just my family from Queensland. Yeah, the, the Aboriginal side of me. And um, mate, honestly, I just looked out before the game and I went, "Geez, that looks slippery." Just the ground just looks slippery. So I had these old sprigs that you have to, you know, the nylon sprigs, and you have to yeah. undo them with the with the tightener. So I grabbed like they must have been two inch, two inch steel steel sprigs, and I took these little nylon ones out. Yeah. And whether they're legal or not, I think they're illegal. But I just stuck these two-inch bloody sprigs in the bottom of my boot. Yeah. Um, when that f- fight happened, when um, Jeff Tooby got hit around the ears by Chief and Chief was hit in the spot, someone, oh, I think it might have been Cliffy, I, I think it was Sam Nevin, didn't kick the ball out. So he, I caught it, and it was like five minutes in the match. And he didn't kick the ball out from the penalty, and I caught it. And as I took off, these things dug into the ground. I come to the defensive line. And they dug in the ground and they shot me out of the ground like a bullet. And I was gone. I was just straight through the line. Yeah. But, but the guy who kicked it was Shannon. He was. Shannon Evan kicked the fullback. So he wasn't there. And I was gone. I was going for a try for all money. But unfortunately, twos, they still knocked out in the back play from what Chief done to him. He just happened to stand up and I tripped over him. <laughs> <laughs> so, so no, we got cranky at Chief. I said, mate, why did you knock him out? You could have just given him a bit of a touch up and <laughs> not put him back there. Because, mate, the first touch of the game, and me, John says it was the most fantastic touch in the whole game. It just went bang and I was gone. And we put it down to these two-inch sprigs that just shot me out of the ground. And, That's amazing. And then, obviously, yeah, a little, little bit more dancing went on and the, the tries were scored and then whatever else happened after that but yeah that, that was that was pretty good that was pretty good that's how that's tough that's how tough Tooves is Robbie he's uh even when he's knocked out he's still a, a menace he's a, even acting as a speed hump I know I think I put a couple of them bloody two inch tags in his, into his chin oh no that was Tooves did that that's right sorry <laughs> yeah, that's right yeah that's right that was one of the big moments out of the game as well um, look, Robbie, you, you uh, I guess referred to something before. I think it's really interesting. You know that that '97 Grand Final, in a way, was a little bit bigger than the game, wasn't it, for Newcastle? Given what the town had gone through with BHP, um, can you tell us a little bit about what it was like going back to Newcastle after you'd lifted the trophy? I mean, what was the what was the vibe like? The celebrations? It looked manic. 
look, the trip down, that, that was the one that made us rock stars. So as if we're heading off on the bus, you know, the people seeing us out of town, and, and even the semi-finals, you had, you know, 10,000 people seeing you out of town. By the time the grand final came, uh, there was, I know there's 100 people they said back, when we back Newcastle for that ticket tape plane and stuff, but I guarantee by the time we got to Wall's End, everyone had either doubled around the front of the bus or the bus was long, just the roads were lined with people. So I reckon a good 30,000 people by the time we got to the highway. And wow. The reason why we thought we were rock stars was like, we're going along the highway and girls were on the back of trucks with their tops off just showing their boobs and stuff. And we obviously sit there just going, oh, if we just, we just couldn't become ACDC. <laughs> like, this is unbelievable. Oh, thunderstruck. So wow. we're telling the bus driver to turn around and go back. Forget the game. We're a good sort. <laughs> Bit of a distraction there, Robbie. It was, it was, mate. That, that made us not, not spill the ball, that's for sure. We extra, extra motivation. And mate, we come back into town and the way we... Mate, we come over the, the, the top of the lights and they said, off oh, near Marathon Stadium, and they said, um, just jump out, put your bags here. We'll go straight to the workers' club and have a bit of a, bit of a um, you know, get-together and invite your parents and everyone and... Yeah, rightio. So that it was apparently the club was someone had already invited all our parents, all our girlfriends, and to be in the club waiting for us when we get there. And the ones that were on the buses with us and all that sort of stuff, they sort of just mingle along with us. So rightio, we got off, we got off the bus, and then we put our bags in our cars, and we jumped in the bus, and then cars. I, I think they stayed there for a month. We didn't go, no, one, no one could bloody sober, get sober enough to drive the cars home for a month. Yeah, um, yeah. So then we we just went over, and by the time we got into town, it was just. Mate, there was the, the horse with the um, knight on it led us through the streets and, mate, how someone didn't hit that horse on the ass and make it, you know, pig root and I don't know. It just, it led us through. Everyone was so well behaved. It dragged the bus through. The, the bloody the horse spread people apart and, you know, we, we just come through. By the time we get there, mate, there was people on top of the bus, on the, in trees, on top of the bus. There was guys p- jumping on cop cars. It was, it was just crazy. And I remember going up on... The stage, and as we went up overlooking on the main street, um, Chief had this hundred kilo freaking trophy, the big Optus Cup trophy, yeah. hanging out of the edge, and there was like, you know, thousands of people behind him. If he slipped, mate, people are dead. And he's just hanging out of the edge, just shaking the trophy, and the bouncers jumped on top of him and had to pull him back. <laughs> <laughs> mate, that'd um, put a bit yeah. of a dampener on the celebration, wouldn't it? Oh, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Harry can kill three. <laughs> to be, you can see the Newcastle Herald headline from here. You must have felt a bit like uh, you were no extras in Game of Thrones or something with a horse leading yourself through the main street of Newcastle. How they didn't let that bloody horse... Um, how it didn't go mad. It's long gone now, unfortunately, oh, mate, but, but Rocky or something, I think it was called. Yeah. Um, but, mate, yeah, that used to walk every horse out um, onto the racetrack in Newcastle. So that was... It, it'd been amongst big crowds before, obviously, on yeah. big occasions, so it knew how to handle them. But to actually walk through a crowd and have an opportunity to get hit on the bum by some drunken bloke, <laughs> how did yeah. it happen? I don't know, because if that thing goes mad, <laughs> who's going to stop a you know, one-ton horse? <laughs> That's it, mate. And I can only hope the uh, the night mascot, whoever was on top of the horse, was actually a jockey as well and had the you know a bit of finesse, could control it if it got out of control. He's the same bloke. He used to be... The guy that rode all the horses around, um, led the horses around the stage at the, at the track at um, at uh, Newcastle Racetrack for you know 50, 40, 30 years. Wow! He's done it forever. So yeah, same bloke, and he always rode this costume out in the 
on the um, field for us. He's, he's a bit of a legend, that bloke. Yeah, I bet he's got some stories to tell as well. I might get him on the next episode. Um, Robbie, yeah, you know, um, just back to that 97, the actual game itself. I mean, you scored a double in that one. I always wonder, you know, um, obviously you, you had a blinder. It, when you score a great uh, a try, especially a solo, I mean, do you can you savour those moments like actually in the moment, or is it all a bit of a blur? The the first one was it was something I dreamt the night before. Um, I, the, the actual the way it all happened with the um, with the dance and all that sort of stuff that that just come from me watching a movie called The Last Boy Scout and um, Bruce Willis did the Jigga Joy up on the light when he shot everyone at the end of the movie. So I went, oh, I, I like that person. I'm going to do the jigger joy, and I watched the night before the game. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so anyway, and then the big rollover with the arm was, I, I, that's just a bit stupid. I've just seen Duke's comments, so I just done to the yeah, baby. <laughs> I don't know where that come from. But um, like the, the first one was, Terry Hill was in a match the week before, the two weeks before, I think, the week, the week, off, the week before or something. And... He scored a try, and as he scored a try, he got dug in the in the right ribs, and he was carrying the right rib for the rest of the game. And that night, I was just, just closed my eyes, put my head on the pillow, and went, "Geez, if I get a chance on Terry Hill's right hand side, I'm just going to go bury straight into him and see if see if the ribs are sore." Wow. So from that scrum, I've turned to Matty Johns and I said, "Matty, I need the ball," and he owns it. Him and jo- Joey own that part of the field. You know, up close to the line, they just take over. Yeah. And he looked at me and said, "No, I got it, mate." I went, no, just, mate, I've got something. I want, I want to do something. Give me the ball. Go and sort to Matty. I said, give me the ball. I need the ball, Matt. And then he goes, no, no, I, I got it. So I turned back to Matt. Sorry, Andrew. And he's called the ball from the scrum. And the bastards passed it straight to me. So <laughs> I sort of half switched off. So by that time, I'd looked out and I'd already told Owen Craig, if I get it, come under me. So I actually turned. And as I turned him under, I turned back to dig into Terry's right-hand shoulder um, to, see, to check the ribs are there. He wasn't there. <laughs> He'd gone on holidays on the left-hand side of the field somewhere. So when when I turned back, he wasn't there. I looked at Danny Moore, and Danny Moore was pissed off towards Adam McDougall, and I just started laughing. <laughs> and I honestly laughed as I, as I was running towards the line because I didn't know where Danny went. I don't know where, you know, where um, Terry went. I was like, this is easy. And, but the, the funny thing was I laughed because I dreamt about it the night before that. If I had got a chance in his right-hand grip, I'm going to dig into it. And the fact that, it, it all played out perfectly, and I didn't have to dig into a rib because I think he he went because he knew he couldn't defend me on that side. I, I think maybe maybe Terry Hill had a dream the night before that you were going to stand him up, so he went to the other side of the field or something. You know, it's funny. Well, he, he wouldn't have dreamt that was a big unit coming at him anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I actually um I had a bit of a revisit of that try today, um, Robbie, in preparation for our chat, and you're not wrong about Danny Moore. You sold that dummy to him about three minutes before he took it. Well, honestly, if I had to put myself in the same situation, I'd go O'Davis because I wouldn't be trying to take on Ben Dougal in his prime. <laughs> He's a pretty big man. I'd take, take Dougal on. I was sort of thinking 95, State of Origin, my mate, you know, in the Origin Series, in the Freddie Bolton Series, I reckon Danny said, I'll just look after you here, Robbie. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right, mate. Lines, I'll, gi- I'll give you this one. Mate, um, yeah. you know... The second, the second one was pretty good. The second one was... that, that That's the sort of time you just go, well, what just happened? You walk back to halfway and it's not until you look up on the big screen and you actually see the cameras on yourself mm. and you go, oh, shit, that's on me. I must have done something good. You don't realise, <laughs> just put the ball over the line because you've done it so many times since you were a kid. Yeah. Um, probably Caleb Ponga doing a little bit more than I, I've done. <laughs> and, um, mate, honestly, 
yeah, you just walk back and go, oh, that's, that's on me. I must have done something good. Then you realise, oh, shit, they're clapping at me. So, it's, yeah, and then it comes surreal, I guess. And that's what I guess what I was getting at, Robbie. Like, just, I mean, those individual moments, you must be riding on pure instinct in a way. All of those years of footy and training, you jinked around and beat three or four and just twirled over the line like that. I guess you can only sort of dream of those moments happening. And I, I was wondering if in the moment you could tell just how magical that was and how many times people over the next 20 years were going to be watching it on replay or not. Well, I probably thought, why didn't I wear two, two in sprints all my life? <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, mate, no, you know, you don't, you, believe it or not, you don't hear the crowd unless you want to hear them. If you go back to, and I was primed for it, I would walk back to um, a kickoff, and before I catch a kickoff, I'd stand there and talk to people behind the line. I'd be going, become popular with the Knights Grannies because I'm the guy that stood back there and always talked to them at the fence and made sure they were all right before I was kicking off when the guys are so... Um, you know, they're so military about what they do these days, just walk mm. back and wait, they won't turn around and wait to the crowd. And I was, I was into that. I, I was just blessed that I got an opportunity to play um, in front of big crowds. And I also knew that I was paying my wages. So I made sure that, you know, I'm always the first one to wave a hand and shake a hand and sign an autograph and wait around after the game. So, um, but you don't hear it. You sort of, you get out of the field, and as you're on the field, you're thinking about your game and you can hear the crowd erupt. As you're playing, you don't. And all of a sudden, there's one voice. There might be one voice in 30,000 people, and you can pick it, and you always know who it is. <laughs> whole, I don't know why. You just always hear that voice. And after the game, go, oh, I said I heard. And someone comes up after the game. I, heard, I actually heard you, mate. I heard you out there. That's amazing. Like, even yeah. in, the, in the just the roar of 30,000 people, you can actually single out a voice. If you know a voice, mate, you'll, you'll hear it. It's funny. <laughs> it's funny as. Um, but no, you, you take in the, the crowd when you need to take in the crowd. So if you if you need the motivation, something's going wrong for you, you take it in. If you've done something wrong, yeah. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> well, mate, I mean, clearly you've, you're have you a player that used the crowd to your advantage and, um, you know, interacting with it, obviously, you know, it didn't interfere with your game. Maybe other players need that focus or something, but um, yeah, whatever you were doing, mate, you did, you did it right, obviously. Yeah, you know, I was, I was lucky for a long time. But like I said, I always knew who paid me wages, so the people who come through the gate, they did that. And... Um, you know, we need. Someone actually said to me one day, there's 300 at the time, 320 people in the whole of Australia, I guess, to play professional sport, professional rugby league on TV out of 60 million people. It's, it's pretty special. And for that, for that, we, we've we've earned the right to do that. We haven't just gone and just said, oh, this this kid scored a couple of tries yesterday. We're going to put him in first grade. You know, we we worked hard to make sure we're there. And I was a small kid in a big big man's game, so I had to work twice as hard. Um, and I was always the first one to train, last one to leave sort of thing. So, um, yeah, just got, had to work, you know, lift twice the amount of weights in everyone. And I'd become the strongest man, pound for pound the club for like 10 years just for that reason. Um, and then I'd stay around after and train and I'd make sure that Joey kicked me 10 bomb, bombs before I'd leave every training run. And I'd do that for 14 years. So if I, if I didn't catch one, you know, I'd go back to one and start again. So... He didn't like it, but he became a good kicker because of it. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, he's a, he's a pretty good training buddy to have if you've got Joe in your team. I think um, if you're going to put up any tort bombs, he's probably the best in the business. But I remember getting a phone call from Wayne Bennett one day and said, we're going to pick you in the Oregon side this week. Uh, one, because you're a good luck chap. He said you've won eight out of 11 Origins that you've played in so far. And he said, Mate, you're actually playing pretty shit football at the moment. But... You're the only person in the comp that can catch Joey's bombs, so I'm going to put, I'm going to put you fullback in this game. And uh, 
Yeah, you're going to catch Brajali's bombs for me, so I end up, end up doing that. <laughs> Mate, so it all it all paid off for you in the end in a lot of ways. It did, it did. It did. <laughs> Mate, um, you know, looking at that game, I, I guess myself, I regard Jeff Tuvey as probably one of the toughest guys playing the game I've ever seen. Um, in that GF, in the 97 one, he, he basically got knocked out pretty early in the game and he continued on to lay on a few tries. Um, who were some of the big dangers for you um, in that Manly team in 1997? Was there a couple of guys that were spoken about in particular as dangerous players? Mate, Cliffy was always going to be a danger. It's just yeah. so clever. Even at the age of 78, that is that now. <laughs> he, um, mate, he goes away and plays his old boys' legends matches. He's still untouchable. You can't get him. He, as soon as he, not, not as in the way of um, he's going to dummy and run 100 metres of score. He just goes around, carries the ball in front of him, and as soon as you lay off him for two seconds, he will just put a short ball on anyone's chest and they're gone straight away. If you just run the holes for him, he'll put you through every time. He's just always so dangerous. And he was our main threat. And the person that I think this is why we won the game, um, Jim Sedaris. Yep. Mate, Jim Sedaris, the minute he got put out of the grand final, I, I reckon that gives us a chance. He, he was just, he just couldn't tackle that bloke. And he was tough, he wasn't he, Jim Sedaris? Yeah, he got, he got suspended for the grand final, and then they had to sort of reshuffle their pack around, I think. Um, I think he went hooker. Um, he, I think he wore number nine to get match, I think. Did he? I think. And, yeah, so did, did Cliffy wear number nine? I think he did. I, I thought he was playing in the six, but um, yeah, quite, I'm no, trying he, to... he, I think he stood at six, so he wore number nine. Yeah, you might be right, that. mate. But, yeah, Jim Sedaris, he got pretty out of the game the week before, and, and that was it. And that I think that, that gives us the grand final. Because if he played, um, yeah, he he just was unstoppable. He really was. He, he'd never get tackled. He'd stand there and right at the last minute, he'd pop the ball out of the back and just put you on the back foot straight away. Mate, they had Big Hopper in his prime, hanging down the wing and had a bit of a scuffle with him. But, um, mate, Shannon Neville was so quick. And then they had good centres. Danny Moore, don't know what he was doing half the time, but he was a, he was a Australian player. Um, he was falling for your they, dummies, Robbie, is what he was doing. He was, he was. And then they got... <laughs> Mate, guys like Smith Gillespie that, you know, just, I, I think he knocked me in the, you know, second row, just in, of the grandstand in one of my runs, and he just hit me so hard, and when you got hit by him, you stay hitting and pull your ribcage out of your arsehole, sort of thing, so, like, <laughs> they had big, tough asses, and I think we're just a little bit tougher on the day, and just, mate, we had, we had six and seven, any side with that six and seven in, it's going to get pretty bloody good, so, um, and, mate, that, the two Jones boys, they were in their prime, you couldn't get any better players in the comp than the two Johnsies. And, mate, I talk about it all the time, these 30-metre passes that they chuck to each other. And they hit these, what you call the tram lines, like the, you know, the last 10% of the field. And to get the ball out to the last 10% of the field where the, the quick men are, like, you know, let's mention a tomato toe or Darren Albert or something like that. Yeah. To get the ball in their hands really, really early. I mention the two Johns boys with Jesse Ramian. Mate, I know. Get the just get the ball in Jesse Ramey's hands, or this Kalen Ponga hit the tram lines, this little ten percent of the field. Mate, they're gone. They're, people just can't slide across. You see how how good Billy Slater was getting that tram line. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, guys, that are, guys that have got mega mega speed, when you get the ball in the tram lines too quickly, they're gone. You can't, you just can't. It's undefendable. And made up because only because the guys hit up the middle. They hit up the middle all the time, and as they hit up the middle, everyone sucks into the middle because the big bash and barge is going on. And as soon as they suck in about 30 metres from the sideline, this is what I'm talking about. This is when these guys hit 30 metre passes like the two Johns boys really, really quickly. 
and then you just can't. These quick guys are just gone. You can't turn and get them. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you can't really replace that. I mean, I always always remember um, Newcastle being rated number one at being able to shift the ball laterally faster than any other team, and obviously the Johns are a massive part of it. But you you were also a team that could uh, chain pass quicker than any team in the comp as well. Was that something that you guys practised a lot, the idea of just catch and pass? I remember that ball used to get from the left wing to the right wing in about a second. Mate, I, I know the two Johns boys are, are white fellas, but we've, we've formed this black line, which, um, you know, with Grogan, Craigie, Jason Moody, myself, mate, there was a lot of, you know, Aboriginal kids in the back line. By having that little black line there, we were playing a lot of... Like Aboriginal touch football at training and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. the Johns boys is such such a high school rate, and you know if you ever been to an Aboriginal knockout, most of them they don't even get tackled. It's just like they just <laughs> offload, offload, offload. So we become doing a little bit of this. We done this thing in, in Fiji a couple of years earlier when we went over there and promoted um, our sport in Fiji. And Christ, look where that's gone now with Fijians. I know. And um, they play a game over there called One Touch, and that's their touch football. There's not six touches and, and you change over. It's one touch. If you get touched, it's the other side of the ball. And it makes them really, really high skillful. So we go over there. There's myself, um, the two Johns boys. There was me, Matty Johns, and, and big Sarge, Mark Sarge. And we're going around the schools, educating them. And we started playing one touch. And myself and Matty Johns, we were just brilliant at it, obviously, because we're into that sort of you know touch football scene. But big Sarge, I don't know what they... <laughs> oh, that's where word lingo is over there for he's hopeless, he's silly, he can't on. mate. He, they were swearing at him in their lingo, but he just kept smiling at him. <laughs> he, he thinks he would get no good in a rap, but I think that was yeah, he wasn't no good at the one touch. And we, we brought that back to Australia and not only we brought that back, we brought a lot of players back as well. Um, the Fijians just oh mate, there was about four or five Fijians actually come back to the Newcastle Knights side just as trialists at the time. Um no one ever went on with with us, but I think a couple went to Canberra Raiders and stuff like that. Um, obviously, the, the Noah Andrews and guys like that, they become you know, household names. Um, who's the other bloody, the other winger for Canberra Raiders? Ken, Ken Nagus. Kenny Nagus. Yeah, so guys like that, they come back and um, they were just freaks of the game. So we come back and started playing this one touch and, and that made us a very high skills back line. I think that this sort of helped us out. Um, and then once again, I talked about in the tram lines. You had guys like Mark Hughes that were just straight runners, um, runner speed, just sitting in tram lines with them. So they didn't have the ma- massive amount of skill that the Johns boys had and all that sort of stuff. Or Darren Hell, it wasn't massive amount of skill. He was just mega, mega quick and never dropped the ball. Um, and, <laughs> and same with Hughes, mega, mega quick, didn't drop the ball. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so a bit of Mr. Evident, but I think that the high skill level just come from that one time we were over and learn how to play touch and then the Aboriginals in the back line. So, and we actually, with Leo Denver then, we're actually, we, we, we called the uh, black line at one stage, I wow. think. Um, yeah, so it was, it was pretty special. I tell you what, there's a name I haven't heard in a while, but I used to love Leo Denver. Yeah, he had so much skill about him. Um, but yeah, for some reason, I guess his name hasn't endured as much as you guys, but gee, gee whiz, he was talented, that guy. Mate, I um I just heard from him yesterday. I haven't heard him for a long time, believe it or not. Really? What's yeah, coincidence? He rang up and get done the big, hey, brother, you got some tickets for me for the game? <laughs> 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 trying, to, trying to bump some bicycles on me. That's what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Love, love oh, good brother. to know he's still around and he's doing well. Mate, um, I, I don't want to harp on the game. I want to move on to a few other little things, but I, I did want to talk about the moment in the 97 grand final, obviously, the, the final pass from Joey to Darren Albert. 
Can you walk me through a little bit of that? What, where were you on the field and what was going through your mind? Did you think that going the blind side was a good move? That Obviously, Joey ran there and then he, he faked back the other way. Did you think this was going to be the moment? I'd just done, I'd just done a kick chase down and I hit someone and I'd done my shoulder and I went off the field. And as I was walking off the field, um, they were, they'd come back to take them towards us. It was about you know, a minute to go. And as they will come back to take them towards us, I went to walk off and then I, I seen we had the ball again. And I went, oh, hang on, I'm right now. So I ran back straight back down there. And as I ran back out there, was just enough time to see Joey nick off down the blind side. Um, and then, but, you know, I, the way I play, I, I tend to think, and I still look at it now, the way I play, that's where I would have been. I would have been right over there trying to get the ball off one of these two guys or be really, really close around the ball. But because I nicked off the field, um, you know, in turn, it all happened so bloody quickly. So Albie was there. And the thing that got me most about Albie is he's that quick that he had actually played the ball and he looked and he, he looked away. He didn't even know where Joe had gone. And he looked back and he was that quick to react and get and catch the bloody thing on his chest and score the trolley. It's just, um, there's a million things that could have happened in that last five minutes. So I think Lee Jackson made a poor decision to run from dummy half a couple of times when he could give the ball just early to Chief and pump it up and just get closer to the field goal and make it easier for us. And yep. Lee kept on jumping out and trying to beat the marker every time by jumping inside him and pass the ball through. And remember the Chiefs just getting this look that he's going to kill him at least if he kept doing it. <laughs> and then we weren't meant to win by one point. Like the ball hit the post for a reason. When when Matty John's ball hit the post, we just weren't meant to. We are just meant to jam up their ass. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's so nice. We're, we're just because... It'd been such, such a, oh, I don't know, such a build-up. Everyone was down there, you know, these guys were unbeatable, all that sort of stuff. It was just, you couldn't beat these guys for so long and we weren't, we weren't meant to just win by field goal. Field goal would have been boring. Oh, you won by one point. Good on you, mate. Yeah. So it meant to be like, let's just jam up their assholes. So it was just, it, and it, it was. It was a try that just broke the heart. And it broke the heart forever. Not Every time you see a manly supporter, they don't talk about the grand final they won by 50 points. <laughs> you know, they talk about the one they lost against, you know, Newcastle Knights when they got their heartbreak by Darren Elvin. 100%. And, they honestly do, mate. They, and all the players talk about it too. But my best mates in the world respect us that much that I've got Cliffy Lyons, John Hopawati, Shannon Nevin, mate Danny Moore. I talk to these guys on a regular weekly basis um, just because they, they, they just respect us that much and we respect them. It was just that one... One occasion that we just two fighters entered the ring and we fought. We come out with, you know, had to have a winner, had to have a loser, but we, we fought hard. And sometimes you get that, don't you, Robbie, in, in great games. I mean, that is just burned into the memory of so many NRL fans who just enjoyed the contest, who might not even be supporters of Newcastle or Manly, but you've just created a moment in time, haven't you? Like, it's an iconic match. So everyone involved probably can hang their hat on that, uh, even on if you're a winner or a loser. Well, it's... It's going to go down forever. That's one of the best grand finals. It uh, doesn't go any better. I think Darren Albert didn't even have a girlfriend in his whole life till he scored that try. Hi, I'm Peter Valandis. When I'm not changing the very fabric of rugby league with rule changes nobody asked for, I champion racing contests across Australia. And it is with great pleasure to announce the 4,000 metres Paul Gallon handicap. It promises to be a ruthless contest that will see Paul Gallon ridden by Alan Langer against a miniature Shetland pony in a winner-takes-all contest. I can assure punters that Paul will be in peak 
physical condition and has assured me he will try his very best to beat the horse. In the event that he passes out, Alfie Langer has also told me personally that he will whip, beat and drag Paul Gallen across the line regardless. So please get punting at Sportsbet and remember, beat the living shit out of Paul Gallen responsibly. Everyone goes, oh, Darren, have you scored the last tournament? And I scored the other two. Hey, guys, guys, hey, I, I scored the other two. Hey, no one, no, no one, no one remembers who scored the other freaking two tries. Hey, hey, guys, Clive Churchill, Clive Churchill, Robbie, Robbie O'Davis. Mate, every grand final day, I do this boat cruise um, with Nick Livermore on, on the Denny. Oh, dynamic marketing um, boat cruise around, and then you go into the um, the ground and you host a box and just with the old players and you go from box to box and you have a few beers and you sort of watch the grand final as much as you can while you're hosting all these um, corporate boxes. And I took me, me uh, Clive Churchill medal down a couple of years ago. Yep. And I put it in my pocket and our mate was uh, comment. Oh, it was Frankie Barrett actually. Frankie Barrett was commentating on the microphone and talking and asking a question. And he goes, "Or oh, um." Mate, these grand finals, he started asking questions about who's going to win the grand final today and all that sort of stuff. And I said, mate, these bloody grand finals are hard to come by. You know, these bloody grand final rings hard to come by. And obviously, a young man called Nathan, <laughs> Nathan, um, what's his name? Fletch and Heine, Nathan Heinemark. Yeah, Nathan Heine, yep. Heine was standing in the, in the room at the same time. I was saying, mate, these bloody grand finals, they're hard to come by. You know, these grand final rings, they're hard to come by. And, <laughs> Mate, and I went, actually, no, they're not. Look, I got one on my finger, and I had a grand final ring on my finger. I said, you see this, Heine? Yeah, yeah, piss off, O'Davis. Eh, and then I said, mate, and strangely enough, Clive Churchill's there really hard to come by. And I pulled it out of my pocket, and I said, oh, no, they're not. Look at this one, Heine, got one here too. <laughs> so, and, mate, he looked at me, and Heine asked his yells across the room and goes, what the hell have you got a Clive Churchill? What are you I said, I don't want to pay for any piss tonight, and I want to get free entry in every nightclub in Sydney. What do you reckon? <laughs> It's the best thing I've done because a lot of people hadn't seen it before, um, and just to have that in my pocket, mate. Everyone that boat got to come and view the Clive Churchill and come to see the grand final ring. So it was, it was probably the best thing I've done. So I do that every year. If it was me, I would have it constantly in my wallet wherever I went. Oh, I don't, it wouldn't be one day a year; it'd be 365 days a year. <laughs> mate, I went and got engraved out at um, Walls End, and the man that owns the engraving shop at Walls End, I was there to him, mate. Listen, can you just put my name on this medal here? He goes, oh, mate, just, what, just your name or you want? I said, oh, yeah, just just put me name and it'll be good, thanks, mate. And he goes, yeah, 22. I said, oh, okay, no worries, buddy. And I turned around and mate, behind me. I said, he's going to charge me to get the freaking Clive Church on Redley Graves. Are you serious? <laughs> mate, that is, that is if, if it's ever been pro bono work, it's that one. That should be free for sure. <laughs> I think so. I think so too. Pass it. No, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Mate, um, just I guess on your career in general, were you always going to be a footy player? How did you get involved in rugby league? Yeah, mate, I always. I started at soccer. I think if you're going to ask a lot of football players, uh, rugby league players, um, where they started, they all started with soccer. The hand-eye coordination is a big thing. Yeah. Um, and then that's the bravery thing is and learning how to play as a team. So. Soccer's a really good thing because the bravery side of it becomes the kicking the shins. <laughs> the yeah. pattern wasn't, wasn't so thick when we were kids. Um, you used to cop one of the shins and you wouldn't be able to walk for three days. So, um, you know, I, I'm kind of really good at soccer, actually. So I think whether it was just the speed, I'm not sure. I was always quick. Um, and then by the time I got 
um, to under 12s. I was in the under 12 Queensland touring side. Um, who we had there? We had a guy called Craig Polamana was my centre. I was a 5'8". Oh, wow. We had a guy, guy called Clint Robinson that won the pedalling for Australia um, in the – oh, he's a kayak paddler, I think, Clint, Rob, Clint Robinson. He won gold medals for Australia in the Olympics. So he was my second roller. So we had a couple of – Pretty good pedigree. Big on better things, yeah. Um, and then, mate, I, I think under 12s, I um, – yeah, under 12s, I think I scored – six tries in one match and the game the actual game was won by 36 to 6 and i was a goal kicker as well so i got the whole six tries six goals <laughs> bagged and, every point yeah but it, was, it wasn't wasn't just about the score and the tries it was just the way they were done i think and and after that you know that's when everyone started knocking on my door <laughs> at the age of 12 going well you just double tip someone like you know, tip the first line or tip the fullback and just stuff like that it was just just doing stuff that you know, it was probably meant for adults, not for little kids. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so then I started getting noticed the word going. I was a Australian touch player um, at the age of 15, and um, Australian touch captain, actually, at the age of 15 as well. And then I, in the country towns of Toowoomba, where I, where I grew up, you'd go away and work, and every weekend, uh, every week, you'd have, you know, 10, 10 guys at training for the first grade team. And my dad was the captain coach of Newtown Lions in Twomba. They had the same outfit as the Newtown Jets. And he would just say, hey, Robbie, just jump, jump in the wing for us. And I did that since I was 10 years old. So I'd always fill in the numbers on the wing for the first grade side. So by the time I got 50, age 15 and I actually playing for Australia, you know, I was a little little 5'8 for rugby league, um, dad just said, oh, why don't we give young Robbie a go in first grade on the wing and just try match. And so, at the age of 15, I was on the wing and um, I was playing first grade against Brisbane North and uh, I was playing for Newtown in the Newtown Night Trials in Toowoomba. And then um, we sort of got through that game just as a t- done a couple of touches as a kid that didn't get involved too much. By half-time, I went to half-back and I was doing chips and carrying on and, <laughs> you know, trying to take over. But I, um, yeah, I was just a really, really little kid in a, in a, you know, in a man's game. Um, then after that, they said, oh, you're in under 16 this week. Good, good trial. Go back in under 16. And little smart ass kid I was, I said, no, no, whoa, I'm, I'm a first grader now. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and play under 16s, mate. So, Valley's across the road. Um, the other side of Toowoomba, they rang up and said, um, there's a little article written in the paper about how I'm going back to 16s. And there's a big article in the paper written the week before saying how I could what sort of bloody dad could let his 15-year-old son play in a first grade side and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, so, right. Um, so there was a bigger article before, but the team on the other side of Town Valley, they said, oh, we'll take you as a first grader. Really? Yeah, we'll sign you and your father. So, so wow. and dad got signed on the other side of town, so we ended up playing together um, against East in Brisbane, and that was coached by Johnny Lang. So we had a trial, trial match a week, late, week later playing for a different side, and dad was the front rower and I was the, um, the 5'8". I just went straight to five eight. No knocking around down the wing no more, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll control this out. team. Thank you very much. <laughs> so um, yeah, so Johnny Lang brought his east suburb side down, and um, in that game, I think the score ended up similar. The one I just mentioned it was about thirty six six or thirty to six or something, and I scored the only try and kicked the only goal for the team that our team, and obviously the Brisbane team's going to flog it. Um, Tournament team any day, and Johnny Lang just walked up to me after that and said, "Mate, you coming to Brisbane?" So wow. I went from one side of town to the other side of town to Brisbane. So I went and bought a um, a posty bike for fifty bucks, <laughs> and I rode it to, 
to Brisbane twice a week um, to train. And, um, mate, I'd stand there in the huddle sometimes and I was playing first grade. I just turned 16 and I, I was playing first grade in Brisbane with Johnny Lang at the age of 16. Um, but Johnny would look at me at training and he'd be talking to the whole team and he'd be looking at me and I, and I, was, I was just staring at him really hard trying to trying to read his lips and he'd look at me all the time and go, are you okay, mate? And I was, what? He goes, well, are you okay? You're just staring at me. What, what's wrong with you? I said, oh, mate, that bloody posty bike, I'm... Riding all the way from Twombridge, only got one gear, and all I could hear was me. <laughs> that was just ringing in my ears every night, and I just couldn't hear John. So you would, you'd have deafened you by the time you got to the game. I know, it was bloody dreadful. But we um, ended up playing my first game of first grade in, um, in Brisbane at the age of 16, and um, I scored two tries, and, and um, that was against uh, Brisbane North, and in a proper match, not a try match this time, and... Um, I scored two tries at Man of the Match in that game and Newcastle Knights were playing the Brisbane Broncos on the Sunday and we played at Lang Park on the Saturday and all the Knights boys and all the Broncos boys were there watching me in that game and um, not the players, the actual officials. Yeah. And the next morning, oh, they actually Knights walked straight up to me as soon as I missed the game and they just said, oh, you want to come over to South Bank and, and talk to us about a contract? And I went over the road seeing the big men like the Harrigans and the bloody sergeants and stuff and said, mate, I want to sign with these blokes. So I just, I signed my life away. And um, the next morning, Brisbane Broncos, where I wanted to be, said, oh, listen, we've got an offer for you. And <laughs> I'm gone. I've already gone with the noise. Oh, shit. So, um, yeah, obviously being a Queensland, I wanted to, wanted to start there for the Bronx. But I just signed, signed the noise. They'd come off the first contract and I took it and... Wow, so the Broncos nearly had your signature, so it could have been an entirely different career. Did you ever look back and think about what life might have been like if you'd played for the Bronx? Um, I, I just missed Wally Lewis with the Bronx. He'd gone to Gold Coast, so that would have, that would have been good. I, playing with Wally Lewis would have been great. As it turned out, I made the last ever tackle on Wally Lewis in his whole, in his whole life, in his whole career. <laughs> That's so, a pretty good claim to fame, actually. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, so that, that was... That was Good that it happened out that way because I got to play against Wally and I got to play against Bowman and all those guys. So, um, uh, Wally was the reason. Wally was the reason why any kid would want to play for Broncos. Um, but so when, when Wally left there, there was all the Bronx. You still love them, but just Wally wasn't there anymore. No so you yeah. have to love new people. And then all of a sudden, there's Elfie. Oh, jeez, look at this guy go. So Broncos become Elfie, and then the Broncos become. Steve Renoff, then mate Glenn Lazarus, and then, then there's just a million guys that come through that that era that were just played brilliant when they kept on winning grand finals. But prior to that, it was pretty much just you'd see the guys playing the origin like the Gene Miles and all that sort of stuff, Colin Scotts, but it was just a Wally. You just be watching Wally, waiting for Wally to do something. And when you look back at some of the games Wally played, Wally was sometimes shit house. <laughs> but in the big games, he would just tear tear guys apart. Any big game, he was just he would just tear teams apart. But just on a weekly week basis, you watch highlights and Broncos, you think, "Mate, Sandsen does freaking nothing." <laughs> <laughs> but then again, the, the good players do do, do nothing. They they still affect you, I guess. Yeah. Mate, you're a hundred percent right. I've I've um, sort of noticed that myself. I, I even like sometimes. In state of origins, obviously Wally Lewis ruled that as a cauldron, and they're huge games. There were just times where I think just his presence, like he didn't need to even uh, get his hands on the ball. It was the presence of him being near the ruck that kind of made the difference. It was he was a very unusual player like that. Yeah, mate, he's a solid unit too. He wasn't a small man. 
Wally's a really, really solid unit. Like, yeah, no, people just hang off the, the good players for some reason. Like, they give them that, that little bit of respect. You shouldn't. You get up and knock them out. Yeah. And in this modern day, you see these guys that try to gain the same respect. Um, like Cooper Cronk's a really good example. He's he's a sort of bloke that need to be treated with the same respect as all the horses and making give himself time and all that. And he used to do that really, really well. Mm. But now they're not respecting him anymore. They're just running out and just freaking knock and hit him hard and he's you know, he's and he's starting to ask the questions <laughs> what's happened to my respect? <laughs> and maybe that should have happened to these guys years ago. Maybe these guys that stood up there and ball played and, you know, got treated respectfully Maybe they should have been held up a little bit easier too, but but still, at the end of the day, these guys like Cooper Cronk and that they get up and they still play the game and and win the bastard for their teams. So, yeah, that's but right. Just, the, the good players just way way ahead of everyone else, and they talk about the big money they get and all that sort of stuff. They warrant it every day of the week. They they do so much for the, the club and they do so much for the game. Hundred percent, mate. And and look, I, I, you're an interesting player as well, Rob, because I guess you've, in a way you've done it all in rugby league. You had did two grand final wins. You've, you've won Origin series. You've played for Australia. I'm just wondering, is there any particular achievement in there that you kind of hold higher than anything else? You know, dad, playing with Dad was pretty cool. Yeah, um, okay, yeah. Yeah, only because it was in front of our home crowd and um, we had a move that involved me and him, you know, the, the little the half that comes around the 5'8", and then he shows and steps one inside and then passes it off his hip to the big fella coming through the middle, sort of thing. Yeah, and right. As, as the game started... Dad sort of went up and for some reason, front row, big front row, he decides he's allowed to take the taps because he's he's the captain. He can do whatever he wants. He starts to call and take the goal, the kicks if he wants, but he takes the taps. Not the hooker takes the caps and he runs onto it. Yep. I'm going to take the tap. So he sort of went up to take the tap and he just, as he's walking up, he goes, mate, stay on the blind side. Just stay on the left-hand side of me. I'm going to tap it. And just as I go hit the line, I'm going to pop it short. Mate, they, they wouldn't even expect that. So I said, oh, good idea, mate. Good, good idea. Not, not five, stand out where a 5'8 should be. Just come around the back of me and stand on the blind side near the wing. Yeah, mate, no problem. So, good idea. So anyway, Dad just tapped it and just stood there, put the ball under his arm and stood there. And this was against East, like Johnny Langston. And they ran and they all sort of stopped wondering what he was doing. And then they took off again and Dad turned around and just gave it to me, just handed the ball straight to me. And they just decked me. So he came and tapped me on the head and went... Welcome to first grade, son. And that, <laughs> <laughs> that was, yeah, that was my first touch in that game. Mate, so, so did, I take it you and your old man never dusted that move off again after that? No, so that, that move never happened again. <laughs> 20 minutes later, where, when his bum was hanging out, you know, a big, he was a 130 kilo forward front roller. Yeah. And, um, mate, shadow player for the first ever state of origin, dad, played for Queensland Country. He was, he was a good old player, so. Yeah. Um, I've, I've called... Looked around for him, and we're 10 minutes out from the line, and I seen him right, right over the other side of the field, his hands on hips, and sort of bending over a bit, sucking the wind in. And I went, oh, look at this. Double, 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 double was the move. Double, double, the big problem. Get over here. And his <laughs> eyes pricked up, and away he went. He sprinted 60 metres across the field to get ready for this move. So anyway, the little halfback double around me. As I took a step forward, the big gap opened because the one guy chased him, one guy chased me. And as the big gap opened, I just went to flick the ball off my hip to Dad. And Dad sort of ran straight through the gap. I pulled the ball back out of his hand. I didn't give it to him. Flicked it over the winger and the winger scored in the corner. And then I turned to Dad, which was actually standing over the try line, untouched. And he sort of looked at me, shaking his head. 
And I said, mate, I'll be in first grade for a long, long time yet, buddy. <laughs> and, just walk, and just walk back, walk back to halfway. So I ended up getting back. <laughs> That's great, mate. Mate, I read uh, only a couple of years ago. Um, I was reading an article that you'd you'd made a rugby league cutback um, for the Magpies. Is that right? You made a. I did. Yeah. How, how did that go? Mate, that happened with a with a thousand beers up my guts. So <laughs> I was just sitting there with my brother, and I said, you know what? I've played football with dad, but I've never played football with you. He goes, you haven't. I said, well, I'm still able-bodied. Like, should give it a crack. And he was playing for um, playing for Gloucester at the time. So he goes, well, come, come sign up for a game at Gloucester. I said, yeah, bloody hell. I thought, well, I said, well, well, had a gut full of beer. And yeah, no worries. So I got online and register me. So <laughs> we register. But the next morning, I didn't. I just didn't even know it happened. <laughs> so the next morning, the Matty John show rings up. You just read <laughs> Tell us about it. I said, what have I done? So anyway, um, Matty Johns makes it national news. So instead of just slipping out the gloss for one bloody game, yep. I've, uh, I'm now on the Matty Johns show, made it national news. So um, I got up there for a whole bloody season, don't I? So I was out there and, mate, I was, it, it was fun playing with my brothers, fun playing with blokes and, and mate, just sitting in the dressing rooms and, Listen and smell the liniment and listen to the boys talk. And you know, yeah. in our game, because we're all professional about the way we go, it we are about um, where we have to be at certain parts at the time. You know, the moves about this, you know, what's going to happen at this stage. Um, just earn the right to play football, all that sort of stuff, you know. Um, in, the, in the dressing rooms of local games, mate, it's about whose head they're going to rip off and, and who's, who's cheating on whose wife. And it's, just, mate, it's just bloody crazy <laughs> stuff. You're just sitting there going, jeez, is this really happening? But then there's this moment of silence when they all turn their head to you <laughs> and just wait for your motivational speech. <laughs> and you've got, you've got nothing because you're overawed by their speeches. Like, yeah. You just feel like saying, um, listen, guys, I just want to let you know that I've never touched any of your wives. <laughs> just give that sort of speech rather than who's going to win it. Just in case they're not out. Oh, um, my anyway, God. I enjoyed that side of it. I love the side. I love the liniment. I love the, the yarns and the beers yeah. after the game and all that sort of stuff. But this, this disrespect down the field, uh, you know, the guys that come up and, oh, you got nothing, eh, Davis? And, all, and, and then they hit you in the head after you. It's just, come on, guys. Just, just enjoy the fact I'm out here. That's right. <laughs> and, and I'm 46 years of age. So that, that was the biggest problem. And I tell them all, I say, Okay, so I didn't step around you. They go, you got nothing. Okay, I know, mate, I didn't step around you. But I'm 46, you're 20, okay? Get over it. <laughs> so I said, if you still look fit like me when you're 46, mate, awesome. Keep going. <laughs> That's so it. Just, just stuff like that. So, and and I, got, I got deterred from it. I ended up absolutely hating, hating the fact I played that year um, because I just was disrespect from the other teams. Instead of just enjoying my company, they disrespect and, and we played third grade but not playing for bloody uh, cattle station so they should have just yeah. been oh, it's a third grade game let's just play for a nice beer with Robbie after the game where everyone's happy but when you go back to the pub after the game all the guys that try to knock you out they're your best mates that's <laughs> it so, so I'm your shirt brother <laughs> no it's <just> trying <laughs> to knock you out you'd be dead no I won't <laughs> mate and do you know what they're probably just trying to bask in your reflected glory Robbie you know because I, I guess it, you know if it's third grade they'd just be kind of um, I guess motivated to be on the field with you maybe that's just their way of showing it even though it probably came across it's disrespectful, I don't know. But uh, did you did you cross the white stripe too many times? Mate, I just did it once. I, I ended up um, backing someone up and, and just finishing off what they started. 
I, I, I put it in a suit on. Don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> I had to show up for work. Not, not like in the old days. My work was football. I had to show up for work the next morning. So I put the dinner suit on and made sure it stayed on. <laughs> mate, very nice work. Well, look, absolutely. Kudos for getting back out there, mate, in, in, you know, at 46, yeah. mate. That's um, a testament to obviously you're still in great physical shape. I, I'm, I'm in my 30s, and I have to say, if I went into a first grade or, or third grade field for that matter, I would shatter like a Ming vase. So I'm definitely. <laughs> well, don't do that. Yeah, yeah, I'm definitely not going to do that um mate uh, just um on the current state of things before i let you go um obviously the state of origins going on and you're a proud queenslander did you have any thoughts on i guess who's going to win game three and 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 i guess how do you think queensland fared in game two obviously the score wasn't very flattering where do you reckon they're tracking at at the moment well as we stand now um i think the the origin was lost from queensland's point of view um when caitlin pulled up in this morning so yeah it's um, shocking news isn't it yeah, yeah. So the thing is, and I've mentioned it just on on Caelan Palmer himself. I mentioned it at the start of the year, just on, on a, a big show or something. That someone with glutes that big, the big big base he's got on him. Mm. I, I won't say this in case Caelan's listening. He's going to think <laughs> I've got a fat ass, but he's got a massive, a massive power base, and to to move laterally the way he does, at the same speed he does forward, something's going to give. And I always said, I've never seen someone move laterally mm. sideways and forwards at the same speed with such a big base like that. So something's going to give. And look, the Benji Marshalls and, and this um, uh, Johnson, they're, they're little guys. They're little guys with massive big steps. Yeah. This guy's a big, big-ass kid that's got massive power base there. And something's going to give. And I think he's, I just really think that he's going to end up with real bad ankle damage, real bad calf damage. And... And it's funny because I mentioned his calves, and now that's what went. So, yeah. Um, and all the all these things with his lower legs are just starting to give in. Like he was in a boot last year as well. So, mate, look at stepping that powerfully. Something's got to bloody give. It, and that's why everyone's amazed by it. They're all going, mate. No one's ever seen nothing like it before. Yeah, but he's a, a unique runner of the yeah. ball, isn't he? And and uh, I, I guess people made a, some comparisons with Tedesco. He had a bit of a kamikaze running style as well, but he's sort of grown into his body a little bit. Do you think that Ponga might end up, uh, even though he has that unusual style, as you said, and makes him more prone to injuries, that as he gets older, he might sort of um, fill out and grow into his body, or does he need to change his style? Yeah, I, I think it's just... I think he doesn't work too much on his his weights around the leg area because he's got that power base already. Mm. So I think there's a few things down there or otherwise, other way around, or he knows that is a massive power base for him and he's getting where he needs to go. He might be overworking that area. So um, by overworking them areas, he's obviously going to get stressed in his lower back and then mate, the, the injuries are going to happen down below. <laughs> so, yeah, fair yeah. Um, so mate, and we know 99% of injuries is stress. So if he's carrying stress in his body anywhere, He's just going to get them injuries down low. So, and, and the pressure's on him as such a young kid to maybe win this bloody origin match, you know, and come back and still perform it at a high, high level. So, mate, what, what's more stressful than that for a young kid? Uh, and he's making so much an impact at such a young age. Mate, that's pure stress. So, um, if, and like I said, 99% of injuries from stress. And if he's stressing like that, mate, things are going to give. Um, mate, yeah, same again. I, I think when they lost Kalen, it's a big comeback from there. So, what do they do? They... I don't think Moses Amboy's um, good enough to be an origin fullback. He's good enough to come off the bench and fill in every spot. Yeah. But that, if, if they even think twice about putting Darius Boy there, 
they've got to wake up themselves. That's that would be the worst call he's he's done, unfortunately. Old mm. Darius, he's, he's one one year past his used by date, old mate. So I think he proved that the other night. He's proved that in the last few games, Darius. Great yeah. player. Yeah. But he's just past his used by date. Um, and we talk about that them players that go one year too many, don't you? You always, you always talk about them, them player that, that does it all the time. And I think Darius done that. Um, so where do you look? I don't know. If it's a tough one, isn't it, Robbie? They're talking about potentially putting uh, Milford at the back. How do you see that one as a potential move to have, um, yeah, Milford coming and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, if it, day, he, he was lethal. He was a lethal fullback for Canberra Raiders. Remember, mm. he was just so bloody good. Yeah. But he's also a short fullback. So um, short fullbacks don't, yeah, they don't fare too well. I've learned that. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, Robbie, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but the, the, with short fullbacks, you've got to learn to be taller than maybe other bars on the field. And he hasn't been taller for a long time. So yeah. when he was down in Canberra, he learned to be tall because he was playing fullback week in, week out. I learned to be tall because I was full, playing fullback. So he's been in the, in the defensive line. His hips are dropped and everything's sort of about getting down low and driving through hard, you know, and big, big defensive lines. So, yeah, to get tall again and catch a ball above people's heads, they, they just do it. Mate, look what bloody that that guy from Manly, the, what's the guy that scored the two, three tries, four tries? Whatever tri- yeah. Devoivich, look what Devoivich done to Ponga. Imagine what he'd do to freaking a little short bloke. <laughs> so, yeah, no, it's a good um, point. Yeah, so mate, it's going to be hard. And then they're going home too. Um, New South Wales are at home now. And yeah, I, I think as soon as they said Ponga's out, that's, that's how the guy's done. But I've played in... <laughs> Say of origin signs that have had no, no about four or five origin players and the rest of Neville's member. So, uh, yeah, still one back with Fatty Bolton saying so never write us off. hundred percent, mate. I, especially when it comes to Queensland, as, as a New South Welshman myself, um, you know, it, it's one of those things that you just can never underestimate it. Every now and then, they can field a, a really depleted side and then they play like um, you know they're possessed. So yeah, um, so, no, yeah so it's origin. It's always it's always going to be tight. I've, I get the feeling this game might be um, a, a, a tighter than people think. So. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's hope it doesn't rain. That's it, mate. <laughs> we're, well, no, we're no good in the rain. Robbie, mate, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you, man. Um, thanks so much for sparing some time to come on the, the voluntary tackle today. And, um, mate, your insight, actually, it's fascinating just to hear about your career. Um, you know, it's obviously a, a lot of, I'm sure we've just touched the surface on some of the stories. So, you know, if you get a chance down the track, we'd love to have you back on. Mate, if not that, well, I'm thought, sure we'll share a beer in the local pub and we'll knock over some stories with the uh, with the truth in them. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds <laughs> great, mate. We might, we might stress the truth a little bit. Too. <laughs> <laughs> mate, you're a legend. Thanks so much, and um, hopefully we'll chat soon, mate. Mate, thanks, and thanks for inviting me on the podcast. No buddy. worries, buddy. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Voluntary Tackle, the only NRL podcast prepared to palm off the big issues. The program would like to advise listeners that because its hosts have developed a gold Rolex shopping addiction, they need your help. Please make comments and ratings on Apple Podcasts, or alternatively, awkwardly shoehorn the show into conversations with friends and loved ones. You may also wish to follow the show across social media platforms. They include Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. The Voluntary Tackle is now also available on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thank you again for flying with the Voluntary Tackle. Your luggage is now our property and you will not be seeing it again. In the event of a non-traditional landing, please assume the Russians have blown another plane from the sky and feel free to panic. Thank you.